So Edwin Land was a brilliant inventor. He was often described as the Steve Jobs of his time. He envisioned and brought to life inventions and things that other people could only imagine. But on one sunny winter's day back in 1943, it was a question from his precocious three-year-old daughter that would inspire his latest invention. He was on a family vacation in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and Edwin had taken some photographs of his young daughter. And of course, in those days, film had to be taken to a dark room for processing to be developed. Kids today don't even know what that word means, to be developed. They're like, what, what, what are you talking about, Grandma? <laughs> but this was a given back in Edwin's day and to any adult back then. But his young daughter, Jennifer, had a different take. She wanted to know, and so she asked her father, why can't we see the picture right away? Why do we have to wait? And her father had no good answer for her. And so he took this as a challenge. Why not, he thought. Why not design a picture that can be developed right away? So it took him five more years, but he eventually answered the question in the form of a Polaroid instant camera. And then there's this. Some years ago, a man named Reed Hastings had been a little bit late in returning some of his videos to the local video store. And by the time he got around to it, the late charges for the rentals were so high, and he wondered, why do I have to pay these late fees? And also, what am I going to tell my wife? So we've probably all been similarly outraged by late fees of one kind or another, but Hastings decided to do something about it. And it led to a subsequent question, which was, what if a video rental business were run like a health club membership? What if there were no late fees? And he went about figuring out how to design a video rental model like a health club with no late fees, and Netflix was born. So what do these two things have in common? A big, beautiful question. Both examples, and countless others like them, have at the heart of their story a nagging sense that things don't have to be this way. Something could be different. And so somebody asked a question, and then set out the task of trying to seek new answers. And I found both of these stories, by the way, in a, in a new book out that's called The Book of Beautiful Questions by an author named Warren Berger. And Berger has spent a good portion of his life writing about all the exciting changes and societal and personal progress that comes by simply asking good questions. And I think that Berger would be sorely disappointed by the disciples in today's reading. Because Jesus is huddled up with his disciples. He's sent everyone else away. He told the crowds to leave so he could spend this time with just his inner circle. He is so committed to teaching his disciples and being with them, informing them, sharing all that he can in the short period of time that he has and he tells them that he's going to be betrayed and then he's going to be killed, but that after three days he will rise again. 
And the scripture tells us they did not understand what he was saying. And they were afraid to ask. Why are we so afraid to ask questions? Who stops us? What stops us from asking questions? At the heart of it, I think it can all be summed up in one word, fear. Maybe that's why men won't ask for directions. I don't know. That one is, that's a different story altogether. But for most of us, the reason we don't ask questions is based in fear. Fear of appearing less intelligent or incompetent. Fear of stupid questions. Fear of seeming ill-prepared or unsure or of losing control, losing face. And I think when it comes to our religious traditions, we're afraid of disappointing someone. Our favorite priest or pastor, maybe parents or mentors who nurtured our faith along the way. And some people may even think, I, I may not be able to be part of this particular church or this denomination if I don't agree with everything. No questions asked. And for some, that last statement is particularly true, and it poses a real threat to integrity. How can I be part of this church? How can I be part of this faith tradition if I disagree or if I, if I have questions about something? And so they leave. They walk away from the church and religion and God altogether sometimes because like the disciples, they were afraid to ask. But then Jesus is like, just bring it. Bring your questions. And he kicks it off himself with an open-ended, thought-provoking questions to his disciples. He walks up to the disciples after their long walk to Capernaum and he casually says, so, what are you guys talking about back there? And what were they talking about? They were arguing about who was the greatest among them, who, in fact, was most deserving of being seated next to Jesus. And so when he asks the question, they're like, um, nothing. <laughs> they didn't want to tell him. They didn't want him to know that they were arguing about, that it was something so unimportant, irrelevant. And isn't that the way we do it sometimes, too? There's something so immense that's happening all around us, but we don't understand it, or we don't know how to fix it. We don't know what the next right step might be, and so we take something utterly unimportant, maybe even untrue, and we debate it. We make it be the most important thing, when really it's just smoke and mirrors. It's covering up something, or it's a way for us to feel more sure of ourselves in the face of some overwhelming reality that we don't know how to address. At any rate, Jesus points out to his disciples in this particular scene, and to us as well, the truth of our faith. That faith is not about certainty. It's about wonder. It's not about answers, but about questions. It's not about experience, but about, and concrete thinking. It's not about those things, but in fact, it's about bringing a childlike wonder to our faith life. Jesus is basically saying that the first question of our faith should be exactly what he himself asked the disciples. So, what are you guys talking about? 
Let's get into that, he seems to be saying. Faith is a conversation. And the subject matter, of course, that they were discussing could be a whole sermon in itself, who's the greatest, as though faith is a competition of some sort. But today, I'm more interested in this. Jesus wanted to know what was on their minds. What are you talking about? What's the conversation like with you and your friends these days? What's on your mind? What questions do you have? What's the buzz? I love that Jesus wanted to know what was on their minds. We need to be able to foster that sort of spirit of inquisitiveness and imagination in our religious lives. We need to be able to have dialogue and discovery. I want us to be a community that is willing to ask each other, what do you think? Questions and dialogue are essential to our faith. Answers and agreement are not a necessary ingredient to living in community. And I want to say that again because I believe that this is true of so many areas of our life, not just in our churches, in our, in our religious lives, but certainly including our faith. Questions and dialogue are essential. Agreement is not a necessary ingredient to living in community. Consider that doubts have been part of our Christian faith since the very beginning. Not only did the disciples anticipate, or excuse me, not only did none of the disciples anticipate Jesus' death on the cross, but his resurrection was even more incredible and downright shocking. In fact, in all four of the Gospels, the reaction to the news of the resurrection is never, I knew it. <laughs> it's always doubt. The, the men, the disciples that Mary Magdalene runs to, were, were, were absolutely skeptical, thinking she must have been hallucinating. Thomas said, prove it. I want to put my fingers in the holes in your hands before I'll believe the resurrection. Why do we doubt? Because the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus were so logic-defying and world-changing that, quite frankly, if we are not having questions, if we do not have more questions than concrete answers, then we're probably not paying close enough attention to the mystery of our faith. Since the dawn of time, people have been asking all sorts of questions about religion. Things like who or what is God? What is the meaning of life? Why are we here? Does God allow bad things to happen? Am I going to go to hell for this or that? And what is hell? These are huge, unanswerable questions for the most part, at least in this lifetime, but it tells us that we are all wired for meaning. We are trying to make sense of the life and the divinity and the universal chaos and order. And many people, both inside and outside of our churches, are trying to make sense of what they always thought was faith. Just a few minutes ago, we read together the words of the Nicene Creed. This is a statement of faith that goes back to the very beginnings of our faith life. 
when a council of men gathered together to say with some finality, they thought, this is what we believe. And if you grew up in a mainline tradition in the Lutheran Church, Episcopal, Methodist, Catholic, Presbyterian, any of these mainline churches, this is probably very familiar words to you this morning. For some of you, it might be the very first time you've ever heard it, though. Um, these ancient words are core, core to our, our Christian traditions. And yet I hope one thing, when you heard those words this morning, I hope you question them. Not because I think they're bad or wrong, I don't, but because I think you have a right to question them in order to deepen your own knowledge and understanding. And if there's one thing that I'm absolutely certain of, it's that when you undertake a journey like that, a journey of examining your very faith, God will guide you to the truth with a capital T. Last week, we had an opportunity to uh, preview a film here at Snowmass Chapel. We did a screening of a new film out called The Road to Edmund. It tells the story of a man who goes on a road trip with his father. Well, actually, he goes on a road trip with his father's cremains. His father has just died, and he takes the, his father's cremains with him on a road trip to visit some of the various sites that were important to him and to his father when he was, when they were, he was a child. He has a large suitcase that he takes with him. And this suitcase is filled with some you know, memorabilia and things that were important in his relationship to his dad. And so this guy drives all around the state of Colorado, actually, and he visits the places that he and his dad used to go, lugging the suitcase with him to each spot. And at every stop, he would open the suitcase, pull out some souvenir or photo or, or something meaningful, and he would reminisce about what the place meant to him and why. Sometimes he would leave no, sometimes I was going to say first, sometimes it was very poignant and sometimes it was a little weird. <laughs> Some of the places that he visited could be a little strange. And it gave us insight into who this guy was, gave us insight into who he was becoming. But before he left each place, he would take one of these souvenirs and he would study it, examine it, think about it, process it. And then he would either leave it behind or he would pack it back in the suitcase and take it with him. What a great metaphor for us. We all have these giant suitcases filled with things that we were either taught or ideas that we formulated about the world and the people and the way that things operate in the world. I hesitate to call it baggage, but I know for some people that's probably a more appropriate term. But it's actually healthy to unpack that suitcase once in a while to take things out and examine them and process them, go deeper. Sometimes what we have been taught about our faith is really not very helpful. Maybe you were taught Bible stories as a young child that just don't make as much sense today as an adult. Maybe you were raised with a certain doctrine or church beliefs that just don't feel right anymore. They just don't fit. Or perhaps there was some teaching that always felt a little bit off, but you didn't dare question it. Sometimes what we're taught as faith is really just a way to build walls and to draw distinctions and boundaries around people when intuitively we know 
that what is true is intended not to divide us, but to unite us in our shared humanity. But after all, we're only human. We have flawed ways of explaining our faith, even and maybe especially our churches, because we're only human. We have flawed ways of explaining the Most High God. And your questions, maybe even your outrage sometimes at some of the things that you were taught to believe about God are her way of saying, come closer to me. For me, faith is something that gives me confidence that things in my life and in the world will not only work out, but will work out for good. For me, faith is about the behaviors and the practices and the attitudes that Jesus taught, which give me some assurance that even when I am experiencing the worst of times, all will be well, and all will be well, and all manner of things will be well. Faith for me is knowing that, as Sarah just sang in that song, that we don't have to come to Jesus on anybody's timeline but our own, and that whenever that happens, whenever and wherever we are on our journey, God will meet us there with shouts of, I love you, I love you. It was a beautiful lyric. Faith is not blindly clinging to ritual and tradition. Faith is clinging to Jesus. And if that means questioning, then you can take some assurance and take some heart in this. Jesus said, seek and you shall find. So what are you wondering about? What are you talking about back there? What's on your mind? What are your big, beautiful questions? And I ask that a little bit rhetorically, but I really want to know. So if you'll take out your bulletin, on the last page, you will see, no, not the last page, the, the uh, first page, you'll see what is your big, beautiful question at the bottom. And I want you to just reflect on that for a little bit. I want you to think about that as we sit here this morning, and I would love you to jot down one question, five questions, whatever you have, rip it out, and when the offertory plate goes by this morning, drop it in the offertory. What I love, you don't have to sign your name, you don't have to do that at all, but I'd love for us to take a few minutes this morning just to ponder that. Maybe you already know what's on your heart, what's in your mind. Rip that out, put it in the offertory, and let's set about creating some space to discuss your big, beautiful questions. And notice I said discuss, not answer them, because faith is not about certainty. It's about wonder. So with that, let's pray.